When there's a crisis, there's a higher risk of inequalities growing, both within countries and throughout the world. And so we have to remain vigilant that this doesn't happen by reinforcing our multilateral safety nets. We see investment in inclusion as the best social lift to have a better, more solid and inclusive growth. Welcome to the UNESCO Inclusive Policy Lab and our PolicyNet podcast. This is the place where top figures come to talk concrete data and policy solutions that would reset us along a more fair and smart path. Today we have a high-level episode hosted by Gabriela Ramos, UNESCO's Assistant Director General for Social and Human Sciences. The guest is Nadia Calvino, the Vice President and the Minister of Economy and Digitalization of Spain. Together they talk inequalities and how a collective way out of these times is by closing some of the most critical gaps. The exit to this crisis is taking a very different shape to previous financial crises throughout the world. We have become increasingly aware that we're all in the same boat and that we need to reinforce our social safety nets. And that has preserved a basis for the economic recovery. Many of these systems held the social investments and their investment in our children that need to have a fair start in life. They say it's high time to rethink, to experiment with our policies so that they match the new landscapes of risks and inequalities. We've been building a number of new instruments, including a labor market reform, an increase of the minimum wage, policies aiming at equal opportunities and gender equality, also the creation of a minimum income scheme reaching 1.3 million persons, of which half a million are kids. They warn that we should not replicate the inequities of the physical world in the digital one, a real risk if we're not allowed. We have put a lot of emphasis in having a humanistic digitalization. We want to ensure that digitalization brings a better, more inclusive, more solid democratic future, and not a dystopian future where inequalities and gaps would be broadened. We shape the digitalization. There is a role that governments have to produce the adequate regulatory systems to ensure that they deliver for good. You're listening to the Policy Net podcast. Dear Vice President Calvino, welcome. It's a real pleasure to be with you, Gabriela. Let us start our conversation and hear from you your ideas, your vision, and how you think that we can really go further to build more inclusive societies. We know that we are confronted with a multiple overlapping crises, and to little surprise, these crises expose and drive even further the gaps and inequalities that were already built in our systems. And we talk about system because it's the social, the economic, the environmental, and beyond. They are all interconnected. And the call is for a deep rethinking of the current systems for both new policy solutions and for a step change that will finally set us on a more fair, equitable and sustainable path. So, dear Vice President, what, in your opinion, are the areas that we need to be rethinking as a matter of priority? And what are the critical reforms that we need to focus on as to usher such a fair reset? Well, indeed, the pandemic, I think, is changing the way we view the world We have become increasingly aware that we're all in the same boat and that we need to reinforce our social safety nets, be it in the area of health, but also education, in the area of social policies. Actually, the exit to this crisis is taking a very different shape to previous financial crises throughout the world because of the fact that we coordinated our economic response, we acted with determination, unity and solidarity. 
And this uh, approach has allowed us to preserve the economic tissue, jobs, and also family incomes, at least in, in the most developed countries. And that has preserved a basis for the economic recovery. Now, as you rightly said, when there's a crisis, there's a higher risk of inequalities growing, both within countries and throughout the world. And so we have to remain vigilant that this doesn't happen by reinforcing our multilateral safety nets, providing financing to most vulnerable countries, focusing on policies which respond to short-term challenges, but with a mid-term perspective, focusing on digitalization, on the green transition, education, all those elements that will provide us a more solid and inclusive growth. This is exactly the kind of context that we are facing in terms of the multiple angles that we want to address. We know that the government of Spain has really put support to the most vulnerable at the center. And the reflection nowadays is how do we ensure that these support systems continue to be there while we move into a full recovery that uh, hopefully will come someday. So could you share with us uh, some of these measures and how do they provide support to the most vulnerable? Well, indeed, we are a progressive government. And so for the past four years, we've been building in the system a number of reforms that are aiming at improving the quality of life of citizens and focusing in particular in reducing inequality and supporting the most vulnerable parts of our societies which had suffered the most from the previous financial crisis that broke in 2008, the young women, the less educated parts of our societies. And so we've been building in our system a number of new instruments, including a labor market reform, an increase of the minimum wage, also policies aiming at equal opportunities and gender equality, for example, uh, aligning paternity leave with maternity leave, also reinforcing pensions for the elderly and with a strong focus of investments in our education, vocational training, so investing in the future, including through the creation of a minimum income scheme, which is targeted at families with children. Because child poverty is something we should not accept in a rich country such as Spain. So our whole program is very much focused on digitalization, green transition, social and territorial cohesion and gender equality, adopting measures which are already showing uh, their impact in terms of the reduction of the gender gap, for example, or the improvement of the quality of jobs in the labor market. Dear Vice President, I want to underscore this question of the minimum income support. We have always heard that it's so difficult to finance, that it's impossible to enact it, that it's so difficult to design it. But Spain has made it, and I think that this is something that we need to really focus on going forward. The minimum income scheme is really worth pointing out. It is already reaching 1.3 million persons, of which half a million are kids. And what we're trying to do is to gather and bring into it, under this umbrella, all the different subsidies and family support measures that existed before. So we had, like many countries, a broad array of different support instruments, but we saw that they were not very effective in fighting child poverty and supporting inclusion itineraries, which were targeted to the individual capacities and needs of the persons. So we're trying to modernize the whole scheme. And we're also designing pilot projects. And I wanted to mention this because they are being designed and evaluated by Jay Powell. And so the Nobel Prize winner, Banerjee, he is going to be 
He's our advisor in designing these pilot projects to see which inclusion policies are most effective at the end of the day. This is, I think, something to be followed more broadly. What would you tell to those countries that said the minimum income is impossible, it cannot be financed? What has Spain done so that this is feasible? And as you said it several times, many of these systems are investments and are investment in our children to have a fair start in life. So very briefly, what would you say about the financing side and to encourage many other countries to really take a hard look at these measures? Well, three points from my side. The first idea is that I don't think there is a better investment in the future than the education of children. Bringing children out of poverty is really making sure that they will be active players in society and so that they will contribute also to growth and prosperity in the future. So we see investment in inclusion and education as the best social lift to have a better, more solid and inclusive growth. Then my second idea is that we need to bring together a number of measures that many countries have, which maybe are not focused on the right groups. We need to really identify the characteristics of those groups of persons which have difficulties to be included into society, to find jobs, etc. You know, families with just one parent, families which are really below the level of poverty and where children have no opportunities, these are the most vulnerable going forward. And so we are really identifying, because we already have a strong pension system, of course, we are really focusing and trying to target income and wealth levels that can allow us to use resources in the most efficient manner possible. And then my third recommendation is to have a strong evaluation mechanism to design the system with flexibility so that you can adjust. We have been adjusting it in the last year and a half in order to make sure that it continues to target the right groups and that you can evaluate what works and what doesn't so as to make sure that it is indeed a very efficient investment, both from the social and from the economic point of view. This is really important. The targeting, the evaluation, the dynamic nature of these policies is not that you put it in place and you leave it there to be forever. You really need to be looking at the impact and how you make it advance. This is something that in the social and human science sector of UNESCO, we're really trying to look at. And of course, Spain and the current government is going to give us inspiration. Let me take you to another of your hats, because you are also the Minister of Digitalization. And we know that this process of the digital transformation can open a world of opportunities as it has done in many ways during the pandemic, where it was a silver lining. Or it can just magnify the divisions. It can leave so many people behind. The question of data value, monetization of data, new ways of addressing these issues. Could you tell us a little bit more also what Spain has been doing under your leadership for this question of ensuring that the digital transformation is inclusive? Well, indeed, the digital transformation, which has accelerated exponentially as a consequence of the pandemic, it has bringing enormous opportunities, higher quality jobs better social inclusion because of the digital provision of social services, digital education, less barriers to entry in many activities. And also it allows economic activities to be performed anywhere in the territory. So it could also reduce the gap between rural areas and cities. But digitalization is also having enormous challenges and risks in terms of inequality, starting with the digital skills of the population. The elderly, persons with disabilities, 
less educated persons have more difficulties in having access to the necessary skills to uh, perform the jobs of the future, the quality jobs that are being created as we speak. Uh, likewise, if artificial intelligence tools do not follow a charter of digital rights, if we do not have a clear framework ruling the protection of rights and values in the digital world, then we risk having a more dystopian future where inequalities and gaps would be broadened instead of shortened. That is why from day one, we have put a lot of emphasis in having a humanistic digitalization, which leaves no one behind, starting with digital skills, but also bringing in uh, digital inclusion as well as financial inclusion, connectivity throughout the whole territory, and a number of also elements to close the gender gap, which is a very serious risk when we are talking about digitalization. We see the progress is being made, but there are enormous challenges ahead for all democracies throughout the world in these troubling and turbulent times we're living. In fact, your government has also been looking at an approach that you also supported in UNESCO when we adopted the ethics of artificial intelligence recommendation which was an approach based on human rights, on human dignity, and how do we ensure that this digital transformation does not only not reproduce inequalities, but that also bring our societies together. So would you like to approach this vision that the digital transformation is a solid base to enhance our human rights and our human dignity? Yes, indeed. From day one, we realized we needed to shape our digitalization process since we will be investing an unprecedented volume of public resources, up to 20 billion euros in the digital transformation of the country, going from digitalization of SMEs, public administration, digital skills, artificial intelligence, connectivity and 5G. You know, since we were going to really push forward this agenda, we thought it was very important from the beginning to have a clear framework based on our democratic rights and values. Because there is a need to establish a clear basis and principles that are going to be applied by all players in these emerging markets, starting from the access and accessibility of all citizens to digital services and digital connectivity, going on to talk about the avoidance of gaps and discrimination, and going on to ensure the requirement of authorization to certain technical developments that today may sound impossible, but actually may become real in the future, having to do, for example, with digital devices that may be affecting our ability to see, to hear, or even uh, the way our brain works. Also having to do with the way uh, public services may be using artificial intelligence. Just today, we have adopted in Spain a draft law having to do with the digitalization of justice. And we think that having a clear framework of rights is essential to ensure that these artificial intelligence tools are used for the better and ensure that the judicial system is fairer and acts in a manner which fully respects our individual and collective rights. So these questions are coming up in each and every one of our digitalization programs. And if they don't come up, they are implicit. So we need to be very aware of them if we want to ensure that digitalization brings a better, more inclusive, more solid democratic future and not a dystopian future like the ones we see in some movies. What I'm hearing here is that we shape the digitalization. 
It's not that the technologies are going to be going their own way and transforming themselves because there is a role that governments have to produce the adequate regulatory systems to ensure that they deliver for good. And I really like what you're saying in terms of the public services, because our public services also need to understand better what they're buying, how they're using it, how to avoid the discrimination that sometimes is embedded in the data sets, in the algorithms. So we will be looking more and more into that. A, a word, Vice President, on gender and artificial intelligence that should concern us because we are moving into a world where the voice of women is not very well positioned. And also your fantastic program to represent the Spanish language in the digital transformation. Well, indeed, if we want the new digital reality to be reflecting the whole of society, we need to ensure that the views and talents of 50% of our population, women, are taken into account. And that has to do with having access to the jobs that will be created in this new digital economy. It also has to do with ensuring that the algorithms, the elements that underlie artificial intelligence, do not create new gaps or deepen those that already exist in our realities nowadays. So it is extremely important that women and also minorities in our societies participate in the design and the training of artificial intelligence mechanisms. Uh, we are very much insisting on that. We are also supporting startups and entrepreneurship led by women. We're supporting skills in the areas of technology, higher participation of women. This is very challenging, I think, throughout the world. Uh, but we need to really focus on that. I think that's extremely important. And likewise, language plays a very important role because artificial intelligence mechanisms use a language and they use technical languages, artificial languages, but they also use natural language, spoken languages. And the way we speak is also the way we think. So we need to make sure that our AI systems do not only think in the one or two languages which are broader, broadly spoken in the world, where at least as far as Spanish is concerned, we do have almost 600 million Spanish-speaking persons throughout the world. It is a language which is on the rise in large economies throughout the world. So we think that this is something that should be an asset when developing AI companies and products and services. We are already cooperating with the large hyperscalers, with Amazon and Google, Microsoft, Telefonica, etc., so that their AI systems are using standardized language, which is common to all Spanish-speaking countries. And likewise, we will be supporting across the Atlantic the development of AI uh, systems in Spanish, which respond to the way we speak, the way we feel, this the way we view the world. This is very welcome news, pretty much in line with what UNESCO is trying to do with the ethics of artificial intelligence, but also with the ethics of neuroscience and neurotechnologies that I know is another area in which uh, there is a strong Spanish leadership, particularly from you. And the fact that we need to preserve the cultural diversity, but also the gender representation in these technologies. And we really commend this very important work. Let me then take you to the third part of our conversation, because Spain is also a country that is with multiple membership. You are, of course, in the European Union. You are a leader in Iberoamerica. You will be in the presidency of the European Union. And one of the concerns that we have is that many of these issues that we have talked today the question of inequalities, the question of the digital transformation, but also the question of a fair transition on the climate area, require a lot of cooperation in the multilateral setting. 
and we cannot allow for the current context that is also witnessing a lot of divisions to avoid us from concentrating and finding common solutions. So I want to ask you, what is Spain doing in this domain, partnering with other countries, but also how do you see that we can reaffirm this commitment towards multilateralism that Secretary General Guterres has really called all the countries to, particularly at the current moment in time, to pursue? Yes, we're living in difficult times for multilateralism. Um, first, uh, the pandemic and now the war at the door of the EU, a war that none of us thought would be possible, is generating yet another crisis, is generating new risks and uncertainties, which are having an impact that goes beyond the European continent. It is really having a global impact. And I think that in this context, it is twice as important that we join our forces, that we remember how the multilateral system has ensured the longest period of peace and prosperity since the end of Second World War. It has also allowed us to respond in the most effective manner possible to the pandemic. In the case of the EU, unity, determination and solidarity have been the three principles that have guided us to respond to the pandemic. And I think they should also guide us when responding to the challenges derived from the war. Now, in the case of Europe, we're very much focused on energy supply and inflation. But throughout the world, many countries and many leaders are worried about food supply, food security, also financial instability because of the appreciation of the dollar and other currencies. And that is creating new imbalances in current accounts throughout the world. And this, again, proves how important it is that we reinforce our safety nets. Now, with the hat of the chair of the IMFC, the counseling body to the IMF, I am really committed to reinforcing the different funds and support instruments in our multilateral systems so that we do protect the most vulnerable countries. Spain has been the first to contribute to the new funds created by the IMF to support low- and middle-income countries so that we can reinforce their financial stability and also finance the green and digital transition, the investments they will need to have a better future. Debt relief is another area that we need to explore. We need to make sure the global framework for providing debt relief to most vulnerable countries is effective. This is something we will be surely working on in the, in the coming months and and Spain will be a country supporting the multilateral cooperation framework because it is the best way forward to face challenges that go beyond the national boundaries, even the European boundaries, challenges that have a global nature. It's incredibly complex how many things are interlinked, but how important is also to walk the talk and not only look for the own solutions to certain group of countries, but also to look at those that are really in a very fragile situation. It has been a real tour de force in terms of so many topics, so many issues, but so many actions. The Vice President has given us a lot of food for thought but also a lot of uh, best practices that maybe many countries can consider to advance and a very strong call to go back to multilateral cooperation and the peaceful resolution of any conflict. So thank you so much, Nadia Calviño, Vice President and Minister for the Economy and Digitalization of the Spanish Government. Muchas gracias, Gabriela. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for this opportunity and best regards to all those listening to us. We reached the end of this podcast. For more deep debate and data-driven solutions, follow the PolicyNet podcast channel on all major platforms.